Hello, everybody. Welcome to church tonight here on a Saturday at The Rock. I'm Deacon Paul, and um, I have the honor and privilege today. So as you know, most of you have been here. We have been slogging through the first two and a half chapters of Romans. And if you've read those chapters and if you've been here for the sermons that our pastors have preached You know, Romans 1 is about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against our wickedness. And Romans 2 talks about judgment and our sin. And in Romans, the beginning of Romans chapter 3, it says, there's no one righteous, not even one. And for 11 weeks, we've been dealing with our sin just in our faces every week in these sermons. And... uh, I'm so privileged to get to introduce you and talk to you about the gospel in Romans 3.21. What a blessing. I'll pray, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. Thank you for blessing us with the book of Romans. Um, Thank you for blessing us with Jefferson singing. I really enjoyed that. It did so good. Um, Lord, open up our hearts today. Open up our hearts today. Help us to hear from you. God, we want to hear from you. Help us to be ready, Lord. Some of us have had interesting days today where we were busy. Some of us were not busy. Some of us have our heads in strange places. God, please, by the power of your spirit, Help us to be as one tonight. Help us to hear together. Help us to listen together. God, be with me. God, help me to pour out for them your words. Help me to speak your truth by your power, not mine, God, not mine. Be with us tonight, God. I say all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Not used to this clicker. Romans 3.21. I, this, these verses right here, some of these verses were the very first verses I, I memorized, and um, they spoke to me a lot as a new Christian. Romans 3.21, Paul writes, But now, so after all this talk of our sin and how there is no possible way for us to make it to heaven, to be with God forever by our own merits because of our sinful condition. He says this, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. A righteousness, a righteousness from God. Why from God? Why can't we do it on our own? (laughs) That's how, you know, before I knew the Lord, I always wanted to do it on my own. I always wanted to be good on my own. I wanted the credit and I wanted to be seen as a good person. But the Bible tells me that I'm not and that I'm in need of forgiveness. The first two and a half chapters of Romans explain that. We need forgiveness. 
righteousness from heaven because we don't have it. We don't have it. We do a lot of good things. Man does a lot of good things. I think about all the great things man has done, whatever that might be, the Eiffel Tower, the Mona Lisa, sometimes the Taj Mahal. (laughs) There's some beautiful things in the world man has created, but it's all tainted by our sin. And we need an alien righteousness that is not from us and that is from God. It has to be from God because we don't have it. It can't come from us. Our justification and our righteousness before God can't come from here because we're tainted from sin. We're from the earth. God is from heaven. We can't open the gates of heaven with keys from earth. We need righteousness from God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What it's saying is that Jesus on the cross, on the cross, even though he never ever sinned, and Jesus cannot sin, he was treated as the worst sinner of all time. And he experienced the wrath of God on the cross. In a legal sense, our sin was placed on him. Jesus wasn't a sinner on the cross. He's never sinned. But our sin was placed on him and he was judged. And the wrath that we deserve was placed on him. He was made sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the great exchange, when we believe in God, his righteousness, though we are not righteous... We're not good. Only God is good. We have no right to stand before God and say, you owe me. We don't have that right. But because Jesus died in our place, our sin was legally transferred to him. His righteousness is legally transferred to us. I've been thinking about um, some things lately, and one of them is Eternity. In fact, when I was a little kid, um, I used to think about forever. My, my mom's here. She's nodding her head back and forth. I wasn't going to tell any little kid stories today, but I just thought of this just now. I used to think about forever a lot, and I used to, uh, I had bad dreams, and uh, used to keep me up at night thinking about forever. But So I still think about eternity. And one of my first big thoughts about God was, For there to be anything in this world that exists, that we know and see, there must be something that is uncreated, that has always been. It can't just go back to an infinite, infinite, infinite speck of dust that was, you know, something else and something else further, further, further back. There has to be something with no beginning. And that's God. He's uncreated. And he's made up of truth. Two plus two is four. And it will always be four. And it's not something that was created. It's always been true. That's always been true, and it always will be true. And God is made up of these things that are always true and have no beginning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. Jesus is the staircase. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. Then you will know the truth in John 8, 32. And the truth will set you free. Truth 
is eternal and uncreated, and God is eternal and uncreated, and our righteousness that we need comes from that place, a place that's uncreated and that has always been. Our works here and the things we do are temporary. Righteousness that comes from heaven is forever, and it's from God. Let's go to our next verse. This righteousness, Paul says, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It says, from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. For believers. And I've had atheists ask me this question. Well, if God is so powerful, if God knows everything, if God is so mighty, if God is so great, if God is the end-all, be-all to everything, why does he need us to trust him? Why does he need us to trust him? And the answer is he doesn't. He doesn't need us to trust him. He doesn't need anything. He's complete within himself. You need you to trust God. You cannot live in peace in this world with an all-powerful God and have peace without trusting him. If I could heretically paraphrase the Bible. So we have all these translations, some we like, some we don't like. I'm using NIV 84 up here, which I don't know, maybe three people in this room use. But uh, here's a, a really short translation of the entire Bible for you. God is the source of all life. If you do not change and follow him, you will experience death. That is the condensed version of the Bible. We need to trust him for life because there is no other life outside of him. We need to believe in him because there is nowhere else to go. There's only death and there's no life in Satan. There's no life in lies. There's no life in our own works and doing the righteousness, righteousness the eternity, the truth of God is coming from heaven. And it's available to you through believing. That's what lasts forever. John 6.29. Um, some people are talking to Jesus. And they ask him, what are the works that God requires? What must we do, they say in verse 28. To do the works God requires. Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. If you have a list of works that are saying, by these I'm getting into heaven, you're excluded from this category. The work that God cares most about is trusting him 
Hebrews 11:6 without faith it is impossible there is no other way it says it is impossible to please God if we go to Matthew chapter 7 there are some people who list their works for Jesus and they call to him and they say this is Matthew 7, verse 22, it says, Many will say to me on that day, this is Jesus talking, Lord, Lord, twice. These aren't people that don't know Jesus. These aren't people who never went to church. These are people who have been to church and have used his name. It says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons perform many miracles? Jesus says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In seeing Jesus at the judgment, they say, Lord, 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 we did all of these things. In your name, we did this stuff. Jesus says, I don't know you. Why? Because they didn't trust in him. And some of you might say, well, Paul, that's Matthew 7, 22 and 23. What about 7, 21? There's works there. Let's read it. Not everyone, Jesus says again, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Well, what does that mean? What is the will of God for us? Does it say in the Bible? Yes, it does. What does God want us to do? Trust him, love him, believe him. But let's go back. So when we look at John 6, 29, where it said the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, only a few verses later, Jesus explains to him what God's will is. And it's right here. In, this is also in your uh, handouts that I printed on there. This is John 6, 38 through 40. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. What a beautiful message of security. But the work that God requires is believing in him and his will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Uh, let's go on to verse 25. It says, God presented him, meaning Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did, this, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Talking about people that died or sinned before the cross. The only way to God, as I've been explaining to you, is through believing in him. And that means after Jesus died and that means before Jesus died. There was never ever a prescription to march through the gates of heaven by our own works ever in the Bible. It was always by faith. Genesis 15, 6. 
Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. It's always, always, always been about faith because God has always, always wanted a relationship of trust with his people. He wants something real. He wants something more, not something surface. He wants us to really believe what he says, and he wants us to really be in his heart. Uh, Let's go to verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So speaking of the atonement, it says he did this, the cross, to demonstrate his justice at the present time to be just and the one who justifies. So at the cross, it shows that God cares about right and wrong. He's not just letting things go. It shows that he cares and that he's good and that he's just. But in the punishment, it says in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased Yahweh to crush him. In the punishment of the wrath of God that was laid on Jesus, we are justified. He's just and we are justified through that. And it also shows God to be good, just and good. The cross for me is what proves it all. When I think about it, uh, there, there are other ways, I suppose, that we think God should have done this or shown us that he loved us. The cross seems kind of strange, but uh, he had to do it. Jesus had to die to prove to us how much God loves us. So when you look at and think of an all-powerful God who has the right to just say, you know what, I'm tired of all you people You know, you complain, you whine, and speaking of the Israelites, I led you through the Red Sea on dry ground and you made a golden calf a few days later. What is going on? I'm tired of you people. God could just be done with us. He doesn't have to keep us here. There's nothing binding him other than the cross. Jesus would never, so God could say, you know what, those people are awful. I I changed my mind. I take that back. I I don't want to deal with them anymore. But here's something he won't take back. His son suffered so much and poured out his blood and suffered not just the Roman nails, but the wrath of God for us. That's something he won't take back. That's our anchor. That's what we look to and go, you know, I might think that God might get tired of me, but Jesus suffered for me so that I could live forever with him. Jesus is my anchor. The cross is my anchor. God's not taking that back. God's not going to go through all that punishment and all of those disgraces to Jesus Christ and say, eh, I made a mistake. I'm changing my mind. So when I want peace and when I need peace and when I think about God being my peace, I think about the cross and how much he suffered there and it gives me rest. Uh, go to our next verse, 27 through 28. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle 
on that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that, man, that a man is justified by faith apart from the law. Where is our boasting in what God did for us? How can we stand before God and brag? There is none. And in fact, our faith is a gift. We look at Galatians 5, or, uh, Galatians 5.22. It says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That word for faith there in the Greek is just faith. The fruit of the Spirit one of them is faith. Our faith is a gift. It doesn't, it doesn't come from us. It can't come from us because we don't have these things. God needs to give us. God gives us everything. I don't know why we say, well, I, you know, I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of that. You weren't in charge of where you were going to be born. You didn't make up the plan of salvation. You weren't in charge of the day you're going to die. You need blessing from God. You need faith from God. You need righteousness from heaven. And to just believe God, it seems so easy, but I'm telling you, it's not easy to trust God. Um, let me tell you a story. I had a, a tooth infection um, about a month and a half ago. And it goes like this. On the first day, it was a tooth abscess. Um, right over here. Well, the first day it started, I thought, oh, that's kind of a bad tooth pain. I don't really like that. But, you know, I will start taking uh, Advil, ibuprofen, uh, acetaminophen, uh, aspirin, all of the different over-the-counter pain relievers. And on day two, I started taking more of them because it got worse. And it seemed like the pills, I would take about six, and they would last for about two and a half hours. And that was all I had. And I had to go to work, and I had to deal with this. And I was struggling, and I was struggling. And on the third day of this pain, I was starting to lose my mind. Um, I know that over-the-counter pills aren't super crazy psychoactive or whatever, but if you take enough of them for a long enough time, you start to get a little kooky. I was losing my hearing. Um, things weren't going well for me. And on this third night, I was in this predicament. Because let me tell you something about me that some of you may not know. For almost 30 years of my life, my job was making teeth. I was a tooth maker. I was a dental technician. So for me to have issues with my tooth was some weird source of shame. And I was like, what? I can't go to the dentist with this giant cavity. I made teeth for 30 years. How is it now that I have to go beg for help because I, my tooth is all jacked up? And I felt ashamed. And I didn't want to go to the dentist for that very reason because the dentist I would have gone to would be a friend or someone that I knew. And I was like, oh, yeah, I made teeth for you all the time. But look at how horrible my teeth was. And uh, I felt horrible. And... On the third night of taking all these pills, I prayed to God and I said, God, if you will get rid of this pain, if you will get rid of this pain and help me make it to the dentist's office tomorrow in the morning, I will go. And uh, yeah, finally, it's like Jonah in the well, finally discovering, okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh. And uh, the next morning, 
God, in his grace, uh, through the night, the pain went away, which is really strange. And uh, I don't know, but I woke up with no pain. But I had a, like a golf ball on the side of my face. And it was so weird looking. And I came downstairs and my mom was like, <gasps> you're going to die. What is going on with your head? That's poison in your mouth. Oh, my gosh. We have to get to a dentist right now. What's the... And I was like, mom, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I need to go to the dentist. I've been a fool. This is bad. I know I need to go. But right now I'm late for work. And if I don't go into work to check in at Amazon HR, I'll lose my job. So I drove to uh, Amazon and I went to HR and I said, I can't work today. And they looked at me and went, you know, I have a tooth problem. Like, yeah, you need to get out of here and go to the dentist. Um, I got back home and uh, my mom called uh, Dr. Parkin on my uh, phone and scheduled me an appointment, and that got taken care of. But my pride kept me away from that. My foolish pride kept me from going and getting something taken care of. That I had that doctor's name, personal cell phone number in my phone, and I wouldn't call him because of pride. So there's so many things in life where we've been doing this and we've been doing that and we think it's the right way. And Jesus says, no, it's not actually. You need to change and follow me. But because of our pride, we won't do it. Because of our pride, we say, no, God, I think I've got this under control. No, God, I'm doing things a certain way that sort of work for me. No, God. And God says, you need to bury that pride. Listen to me. Come to me. You're weary. You're burdened. I will give you rest. There's people here tonight, you've been struggling your whole life, and all you have to do is put your faith in him. All you have to do is trust that his blood is a worthy payment to get you to the highest kingdom. His blood is a worthy payment. That's it. You need to believe that, and you'll be saved. Stop it with whatever your excuses are. And if you're already a Christian like me, and fighting pride on a daily basis is a thing, it's real. And we still have a lot of demons to tackle as Christians. And we still need to go, God, I need to grow even more. God, I need to change even more. God, help me to be less prideful. God, help me to be a better Christian. Help me to bury my pride. Uh, that's a real thing. Next verse. And we're almost finished here. Romans uh, 29. Is God the God of Jews only? He is not, is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. So Paul, his audience, a lot of the people he was talking to in his time were Jewish believers. And the thought that the rest of the world now was invited to worship God was strange to them. Because their pride was, we have the temple. We have all these ceremonial laws. We have a way we dress. We have a way we eat. We have this Levitical priesthood. We have animal sacrifices. And you're saying, now everybody gets to be part of this God thing, and it's not just us. They were very, I think, prideful in who they were. And there were a lot of issues with Paul and the Jews that he talked to in accepting other believers into what we uh, call the faith. Um, when Jesus... Uh, let me... That's good. Let me go to the next verse. 
This is our last verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So, it says before, he's talking about all of these things and uh, that we're justified by believing, that we're justified by believing, that we're justified by putting our trust in Christ and not by works of the law. Well, then, it says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Christ, when he came here, did not come. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he's talking about the moral code, those eternal things. It's always going to be wrong to steal from people. It's always going to be wrong to lie. It's always going to be wrong to murder. These aren't things that go away. And Jesus, when he came, he came to fulfill the law and show you what love looks like. When you listen to what God says, when you obey his word, it looks like Jesus. And he is our example. So he didn't come to trash the law. He came to fulfill it. We are justified by faith. We're not justified by keeping the law because no one can. But as we are justified, as we are made righteous by God, it gives us the ability to follow him with our whole hearts and be more like him. Uh, I wanted to look at a verse in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Um, sometimes as Christians, uh, we change and we grow. So this was one of my favorite verses when I first got saved. And um, I feel like I have a new understanding on it. So another thing about our pride, like we get to places where we say things over and over again and we can't look at it differently. And this verse, God has shown me something. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. I used to think that this verse, when it says he took it away, nailing it to the cross, was talking about the law of God, that he took the law away. Now, the ceremonial law, the things that made Jewish people different, the eating restrictions, the different clothing, uh, you know, anything that swims in the, in the water without fins and scales, do not eat, those kind of things, those ceremonial things that made the Jews separate from the Gentiles, those were done away with. But the moral code was not nailed up on the cross. Um, in the Greek, uh, it says chirographon, which is kyra is the word for hand, and graphon is like graph, graphe, writing. So it's handwriting. Uh, and the other word there, it says chirographon dogmasin. So it's a Greek word dogma. And uh, I think in our English, uh, dogma is like strongly held opinions. Back in those days, dogmas were decrees that were written down. So it's handwriting that was written down. So what I see being nailed to the cross when Jesus died for us now is not the law, but it's our sin. It's a list of the horrible things that we've done that we can never pay for ourselves. It was nailed to the cross there because Jesus kept the law. 
because Jesus was fulfilling the law, because Jesus was showing us this is what it happens when you love people. This is what happens when you love God. This is what it looks like in our sin debt written down, the decrees written against us was nailed to that cross and done away with by Jesus living out the actual law and fulfilling the actual law and trusting his father and doing his father's will and not his own. I wrote on here, our sins from earth are temporary. Our righteousness from heaven through belief in Jesus is forever and I think that's true. Um, Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we love you, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful for all that you do. God, there's no one like you. You are unique and special. Help us to see you better. There's no one like you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for making a way through the righteousness of your son that it could be given to us so that we could be made righteous and live in your presence forever. Thank you so much for that, God. We love you, and I say all of these things in the name of the son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.